0: Well, good morning and welcome to Journey. Uh, my name is Zach. I'm the student pastor here. Uh, I know there's that temptation when Randy isn't preaching to turn your screen off, but I'm just asking that you would stick with us this morning. Uh, I'm excited for the message today. I know it's kind of a different uh, time period now that we're going through all this virus and stuff. Uh, Randy asked me if I was going to talk about it this morning. And I told him no uh, because I'm not a doctor. There's enough of those on Facebook. Uh, I'm also not a politician, uh, definitely not a politician. But I am excited to preach this morning, I am excited to share from God's Word, and hopefully give you a little bit of encouragement this morning. Uh, I've received some good advice over the last few years on preaching. The best advice I ever received was it doesn't have to be long to be good, but if it's long, it better be good. Uh, that was in reference to sermon length. But I also got this advice from somebody that mentored me. Uh, I used to go to the nursing home and preach sermons, and uh, there'd rarely be anybody there, and half the people that were there were asleep. And so he said, just pretend as if there's hundreds of people there. And so I feel really well equipped this morning as we have an empty auditorium and we get to pretend as if there are hundreds of people here. Uh, But I think the Holy Spirit is going to work through this time together, and I'm really looking forward to it. I want to ask you a question this morning as we get started. Who knows you best? Who in your life knows you better than anyone else? I think for a lot of us, we maybe would say our spouse, or maybe you would say your best friend, or maybe you would say one of your kids or whoever, maybe a parent. But for myself, I think the person that knows me best is my wife, Allie. She's only missed me preaching two times uh, over my entire lifetime of preaching. And I know she's watching from home this morning, but I think back to the last few years that we've been married, I think about some of the low points of my own life and our low points of our marriage. Uh, we'd been married a couple of Weeks and uh, I was maybe 20 years old at the time, really immature. Uh, Not that I'm that mature now, Uh, but I was 20 years old at the time. I'd been married a couple weeks and I worked for an insurance company. And this was a job that I really didn't enjoy. In fact, I kind of hated this job, uh, partially because we worked on commission and it was just super stressful. And so I get home from work one day, I'm really stressed out. We're living in Louisville at the time, so the traffic's horrible, so that just adds to the stress. And I get home. And my wife made me spaghetti. I hate spaghetti. (laughs) But we'd been married for a few weeks at the time, and she didn't really know that. But not only did we have spaghetti, it was gluten free pasta. My wife has a celiac disease, and she can't have gluten. And if you've ever had gluten free pasta, it's just not very good. And so I was looking forward to coming home to a great meal, and it didn't turn out the way I thought it was gonna be. Uh, We sit down to eat dinner, we each have our bowls of pasta. Covered in red spaghetti sauce that I don't really enjoy, but I'm not going to tell her because we've only been married for a few weeks We move into this new apartment or what seems to be new to us. It's got this nice white carpet Sure enough as soon as I go to eat my spaghetti I drop it all over the floor I drop it all over the floor and you can imagine how even more stressed I am trying to clean up this spaghetti And when i'm stressed out what I do is I just don't talk I just stay silent and so I clean up my spaghetti, and my wife, Allie, asked me, do you want me to make you another bowl? I just said no. And I just sat there the rest of the night in silence. And it was one of those things that I look back and say, man, that was a really low point of my marriage so far. And I know it was a really embarrassing point for me. But I can tell you this, my wife still loves me in spite of all that. And so the question I would ask you this morning is does the person that knows you best still love you at your lowest points? Because this morning, we're going to be talking about a guy named Peter. And for Peter, the person that knows him best is Jesus. But the reason that Jesus knows him best is not just because he's God, but it's because he's Peter's best friend. You see, Jesus and Peter had spent roughly three years together. And so for Peter, he's going to be at one of his lowest points. We're going to look at when he denies Jesus, And we're also going to be looking at when Jesus is on trial. And so if you have your Bible, I hope you do, turn with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. While you're turning there, I want to read you a little bit from John chapter 13 to provide you some context. Many of you are probably familiar with this story. You're familiar with in John chapter 13, Peter makes this statement to Jesus. It's kind of a bold statement. He says, Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus, I'll give everything for you. Peter says, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus responds by saying, Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? Will you really lay down your life for me? Because very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. In a way, Jesus kind of puts Peter in his place. But we move on and we see that Jesus and Peter have another encounter together. As Randy mentioned last week, Jesus is in trouble. He's getting arrested. And what happens is that Peter goes and he cuts off the soldier's ear. And so when we get to John chapter 18, we're going to read about Peter's denial, starting in verse 15, it says this. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back spoke to the servant girl on duty and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servant's officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing there with them, warming himself. I hope you understand what's happening in this passage. Jesus had just been arrested and Peter and another disciple are following Jesus from a distance. They love Jesus enough to follow him, but they don't love Jesus enough to stick with them. And it mentions this other disciple. This other disciple was a guy named John. It was likely a guy named John. What you're thinking is probably John the Baptist, but this is John the Apostle, the guy that wrote the book of John. And so John the Apostle was somebody that was likely a relative of the high priest at this time. He was somebody that was well-known. He was somebody that had connections. And so John doesn't record a detail of this story that Matthew and Mark both record. You see, Matthew and Mark record this detail that Peter curses. And when it says that he curses, I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably thinking that he says a cuss word. But what Peter does when he curses is he'd actually use a statement like we would use today, maybe, I swear to God. Or he would use a statement like maybe we would use today as, I swear on the Bible. You see, it wasn't enough for Peter to say, I don't know Jesus. It was at the point in Peter's life where he was saying, I swear to God, I don't know him. I swear on the Bible, I don't know this guy. I've never seen him. I've never been around him. And that's what Peter's saying. But when I think of Peter, I think of somebody that lived a somewhat strange life. I began to read the Bible on my own for the first time when I was in eighth grade. And I remember reading about Peter, and I was always super confused by Peter. Because he was this guy that was sometimes doing incredible things, but he was also this guy that was getting into trouble or finding himself denying Jesus. You see, he witnesses miracles. He sticks with Jesus. He hangs out with Jesus. He sees all the miracles that Jesus does. He does things like in Matthew chapter 16. If you read the passage, Jesus takes his disciples on a field trip to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked him this question. He asks all of his disciples this question. He says, who do you guys say that I am? And guess who steps up? It's Peter. Peter makes this statement. He says, Jesus, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter. You see in the book of Acts, Peter leads this boldness movement through the power of the Holy Spirit where the church just takes off. Believers are are being equipped through the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter's kind of leading the charge, so to speak. And people's lives are being changed. And just last week, Randy mentioned that Peter cut off the soldier's ear, and I would kind of agree with his interpretation that what Peter was trying to do was he was actually trying to kill the soldier. As Jesus is being arrested, Peter goes, and he tries to kill a soldier for Jesus. He has this boldness about him. And so the question that I ask myself is, what happened to Peter? What happened to Peter? What's the difference in Peter in Matthew 16 when he declares that Jesus is the Son of God? To what's happening in John 18, when Peter is denying Jesus, what's the difference? What has happened in his life? I think it's his pride. I would never deny you. I'd die for you. I'd give everything to you. When we begin to think of ourselves as better than we actually are, I think in a way it distorts our view of who Jesus is. and It places the emphasis on ourselves. And pride can be something that destroys us. I know my family's watching at home this morning, and I think back to high school. My parents were really big on making sure we weren't prideful. Uh, my brother and I played football. My sister played volleyball. Uh, they joked that my sister was the best athlete of the family, but really it was probably my brother. Uh, my brother and I were both quarterbacks on our football team. He was a few years older than me. Uh, his junior year, they went to the regional championship. His senior year. He was the starting quarterback. I was the backup quarterback as a freshman. I remember games where he would throw for six touchdown passes, and he also played defense, and he would intercept three passes on defense. He did that twice, and he only played the first half. Then I would get to come in, and I would score a touchdown, and I would throw a touchdown. But throughout our years playing football, honestly, we were pretty good. We had all the school records at our high school. We beat Woodford County a lot, which really doesn't say a whole lot. But we were pretty good at football, just to be honest with you. But you wouldn't really know from talking to my parents. You see, my parents were really big on making sure we weren't prideful. When we were interviewed by newspapers or the television people, they would always make sure that we gave credit to our teammates, that we didn't talk about ourselves. One, they knew this was dishonorable to God. But two, they understood that if we were prideful, it would affect the way that we played. And I think in the Christian life, when we become prideful, it affects the way that we live. You see, we can't be living with a prideful heart and also following Jesus. Because when we live with pride in our hearts, it doesn't give us a clear picture of who Jesus is. And essentially, that's Peter's problem. You see, with Peter, he's that guy that's stepping up when there's no pressure. He's that guy that when Jesus is with him, he's a hero. He's that guy that when the disciples are with him, he's a hero. He's willing to do whatever it takes. But when he's backed into a corner, and there's no one there to bail him out, he's toast. You see, all the things that Peter has done up to this point in his life, Jesus was right there with him to bail him out. When Peter walks on water, Jesus is there to save him. When Peter makes the proclamation that Jesus is the son of God, Jesus is right there with him. When Peter cuts off the soldier's ear, Jesus is with him. But when Peter's all alone, And Jesus seems to be distant. Peter's toast. He struggles. And the thing you might be asking from your home is, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus during all this? You see, John sets up this gospel account. It's kind of like a movie. Two things are happening at the same time. And so you see in scene one that Peter is denying Jesus. And when we get to scene two, we're going to see that Jesus is being questioned by the high priest. Check out verse 19. It says, Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus and his disciples about his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? I asked those who heard me, surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of his officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. This guy Annas was basically a former high priest, but he was someone that still had influence. And so he's no longer the high priest at this time, but people would still bring men and women to this high priest think of it this way. When I graduated from college, we had a guy that came and spoke at our graduation. Uh, Maybe you've heard of him. His name's Jimmy Carter. Uh, as former president of the United States. It was a pretty cool experience. And when Jimmy Carter spoke, they referred to him as President Carter or President Jimmy Carter. They never referred to him as Jimmy Carter. And the thing about President Carter that he talked about at my graduation was that he goes to this small church in Georgia. There's normally around 75 people that come to his church on a given weekend. But when Jimmy Carter is scheduled to teach Sunday school, eight or 900 people will show up. There's so many people that will show up to hear President Carter speak that they actually have to turn people away. You see, President Carter is no longer the president, but we would still refer to him as the president. While he's no longer the president, he's still someone that held influence. That's essentially what's happening in this passage with Annas, who is no longer the high priest. He's someone that still has influence, and he's someone that is still often referred to as the high priest. And so there's three things that really you should know about the high priest, mainly thinking about the fact that he's a Sadducee. One is he would believe that he was self-sufficient. He was self-sufficient. He didn't believe that he really needed God. He would be someone that would deny God's existence in our everyday lives. He wouldn't think that God would intervene in any situation. And so we know this teaching would basically not align with Jesus' teaching, because what did Jesus often do? Jesus would often go off by himself to pray. He would often go off by himself to pray, not just to set an example for us, but to actually connect with his Father, because he knew that his Father intervened in our everyday lives. The second thing that you should know about the high priest was that he denied the afterlife. He believed that when we died our souls died with us. And so for this high priest, he wouldn't believe in heaven or hell. He would just believe that our essentially we disappear when we die. If you remember back to John chapter 3, you see an account of Jesus with a guy named Nicodemus where he tells Nicodemus this statement he says whoever believes in me will not what? Will not perish but we'll have eternal life. Obviously, Jesus would disagree with the high priest's statement that we don't have an afterlife. The last thing that Jesus would disagree with is that they believed and they denied the existence of the spiritual world. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in angels. You see in Mark chapter 5 that Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, and this was something that wasn't out of the ordinary for Jesus. He was constantly referencing demons and angels. And so Jesus disagreed a lot with this particular high priest and with uh, high priests in general because he didn't really agree with their message. And that's why they want to destroy Jesus. Because they know if they destroy Jesus, or at least they think, if we destroy Jesus, we'll destroy his message. And for Annas, he wanted to prohibit the spread of the gospel because he was a wealthy man. He was well-educated. He was someone that held authority. He was someone that was high up in society. And he knows for Jesus, and he knows about the gospel, that the gospel can only negatively affect his life, or at least that's what he thinks. Because he thinks if Jesus is somebody that people look to, they'll no longer look to him. But the thing that you learn about Jesus, if you've ever read the gospels, is that Jesus didn't teach a secret message. He didn't teach a secret message, and that's what he's saying in this passage. You see, Annas probably hears Jesus' message about the kingdom. He probably hears Jesus' message about everlasting life. He probably hears Jesus' message about denying ourselves. He probably hears the story of the rich young ruler, and all these things are somewhat convicting him, and he knows that he has to destroy Jesus. But Jesus asks him a fair question. Why me and why now? You've heard my message. I didn't teach a secret message over the last three years, why now? Why are you trying to destroy me now? But as we know, the high priest doesn't give him a a verbal response. Instead, he sends him to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, to have him legally bound. Which brings us to our third and final scene in this passage. It goes back to our friend Peter. Check out verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. You see, this servant recognizes Jesus, or he recognizes Peter, rather. And the reason he recognizes Peter was because he was a relative of the guy that Peter has had cut off uh, the ear of, and so at this point it's more than a question of do you know Jesus? It's an accusation. I've seen you before. I know who you are. I know you're one of his disciples. But what does Peter do? Once again, he denies it, saying, "I swear I don't know him. I promise I don't know him. You'd never see me with this Jesus guy." See, many scholars picture at the end of this passage, Peter is just weeping. He's crying. Tears are filling his eyes. And then not not to make it any worse, but the rooster crows. And likely for the rest of Peter's life, that rooster crowing would be a familiar voice in his head. Because a rooster was something that would be seen in everyday life. It was something that would be heard in everyday life. And every single time Peter hears that rooster, in the back of his mind, he has to be thinking about the guilt and the shame that comes with his sin. And I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. I want you to think about how crushing this is for him. I want you to think about the fact that Peter is his friend, that Peter spent tons of time with him, that he invested three years of his life into Peter, that Peter was a a part of his discipleship group. You know, Jesus spent 90% of his time with the same three guys. Two of them were James and John. The other was Peter. This guy that Jesus would consider a friend, this guy that, that Jesus would consider one of his disciples, this guy that witnessed tons of miracles, what does he do? He betrays him. But despite the immense betrayal that Jesus experiences from his friend, Jesus still chooses to go to the cross for him. And I think the thing that I find interesting in this passage is that the very moment where Jesus is being accused, the very moment where Jesus is essentially being tried, his his friend is committing a life of sin. His friend is living in sin. And the very sin that Peter commits is the very sin that Jesus would go to die for. And if you're sitting here this morning, and maybe you're like myself with the spaghetti, It's just a low point for you. You feel like a failure. You feel like God's going to give up on you. I just want you to know that there's grace for you. You see, I don't know who the person in your life is that knows you best, but the reality is it's probably Jesus. The reality is I know it's Jesus. Jesus knows you better than anyone, he knows you better than your spouse, he knows you better than your kids, he knows you better than your family. And I don't need to know what you've done this morning. I don't know what sin you're living in this morning because Jesus already knows it. And he's already paid the penalty for it when he went to the cross. And the thing I love about Jesus is he offers us redemption. You see, the thing that's cool about this passage is Jesus goes to the cross. He's risen from the dead. And in Acts chapter four, there's these two guys that are brought before the high priests. They're brought before Annas and Caiaphas. The first one is a guy named John. We've mentioned earlier, but the second one is a guy named Peter. Essentially, the roles are reversed in Acts chapter 4. I want to read it for you in verse 18. It says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. After further threats, they let them go because they could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. You see, if we look at this passage, we'll think that Peter has somewhat of a chance to redeem himself. He has an opportunity not to make the same mistake twice. But the reality is that Peter's already been redeemed. You see, Peter doesn't serve God for redemption. He serves God from redemption. He's already been redeemed. And I love what he says in verse 20. He says, I can't help but speak about what I've seen and what I've heard. What has Peter seen? He spent three years with Jesus. He spent three years seeing, seeing the miracles that Jesus performed. He spent three years seeing Jesus turn water into wine, seeing Jesus walk on water. He spent three years seeing how Jesus treated people who were considered the least of these in society. He saw how Jesus wasn't afraid to go near people who were considered untouchable or who were considered unclean. He saw how Jesus treated the person uh, that was caught in adultery. He saw how Jesus treated the woman at the well. He saw how Jesus treated people who no one else wanted to be around with. He saw how Jesus shared meals with people, and he went on fishing trips with Jesus. But just as important as all that, he saw Jesus go to the cross. And he saw Jesus raised from the dead. You see, before the cross, Peter's selfish. After the cross, Peter's selfless. Before the cross, Peter's confident. After the cross Peter's, before the cross, Peter's cocky. After the cross, Peter's confident. Before the cross, Peter lives a lifestyle of betrayal. After the cross, he lives a boldness of who Jesus is in his life. You see, what's the difference? He recognizes what Jesus has done for him, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God changes his life. And that's the same thing that he does with us this morning. We've talked a lot about Peter, but he's really not the hero of the story. Jesus is. And you're not the hero of your own story this morning. Jesus is. And I don't know what sin you're bringing in this morning to your house or or whatever. I don't know what sin you're struggling with or uh, what what you're struggling with just in general. But I know the person who knows you best is Jesus, and I know that he already knows what you're struggling with. I know that he already knows what you're dealing with. And I think about the last year at Journey Church because this morning's actually my one year of being at Journey. And I'm super thankful for all that God's done in my life and just super thankful for how Randy's invested in me and poured into me. But I can't help but think about coming to Journey and hearing about all the awesome programs we have. Hearing about how we have kids ministry, worship ministry, youth ministry, discipleship groups, celebrate recovery. And all these things are awesome. All these things are great. But the thing I love most about Journey Church is that this is a place where we say, come as you are, and we actually mean it. You see, when we get back together, I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait to see everybody. We're pumped. We're excited. But the reality is there's many of you who maybe watch online every single week because you don't feel like you belong here. But can I tell you this? None of us do. None of us belong here. But the reality is that God loves us, and he changes our lives. He changes our hearts. And so no matter where you're watching from, I want to encourage you that when we get back together, you belong here. We want you here. And this morning, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And I don't know, maybe you have the bread, maybe you have the juice at home or whatever, but I would encourage you to take a few moments and just reflect and remember on the sacrifice of Jesus this morning. We take the bread, it represents the body that was broken for us. We take the juice, which represents his blood that was shed. I want to pray for us this morning, and then we'll enter into this time. Father, we come to you and say thanks. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your message, which was not kept in secret, but was what was out for the world to hear and what was out for the world to see. God, we're praying this morning that we would repent of sin. We're praying this morning that we would change our hearts and we would turn them back to you. As we take this time to reflect and remember, would it just be all about you and all about who you are? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.